Well, good morning. Welcome to our Upper Room service. Once a month, we break from our regular series to celebrate the, the Lord's Supper, as some call it, or the Last Supper, or Communion. Jesus at the Last Supper said these words. You can read, you can read them in any of the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Mark records Jesus' words at the Last Supper like this. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Why do we do this? Well, because Jesus asked us to. Paul added in his first letter to Corinthians, he added these words. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so whenever we do that, we reenact in a remembrance fashion what Jesus has done for us. And I, I, it popped into my head as reading those verses that they had one cup and then they passed it. I'm guessing this was a pre-COVID time back in the New Testament. <laughs> that wouldn't fly today. So that's the way they did it in the church I grew up in. And you always wanted to make sure you were at the first person to get that. Because a lot of lipstick and everything else would be floating in that by the time you got to the very end. It's kind of disgusting. So, so there you go. So, so sometimes we have different series that we do in these uh, upper room services. We are not going to... This year, right now, they're kind of uh, whatever the person speaking wants them to be. Normally, we invite kids up. We won't be doing that today. So I'm going to stick with our theme of never go into battle undressed. We've been talking about the armor of God through our series. And I want to look this morning at a man who was thrown into a battle not of his own choosing. And fittingly for us, a battle that comes as he was putting on, I think, the armor of God as we look at his life. Because how we deal with the attacks that come our way is important. And uh, they will come our way if we are believers. We don't put on God's armor for show and tell. We do so because we've been called into a battle. We're not out there looking for a fight, but we know that they will come. How do we know that? Well, Jesus warned us. He was telling his disciples what would come, and these were the words that he said. He said, I've told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart, I've conquered the world. In another verse, he says, you, uh, they, they persecuted me, they will persecute you, but be of good cheer. He who is greater, he who that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. So before we get into the meat of our topic, let me remind you, as I like to do, that if you missed a message this series, last year, wherever you want to, you can go back pretty far. You can listen to it again by going to ffcsermons.org, where you can download, listen to a podcast, or whatever you'd like to do. You can also go to www.ffcph.org, click on the live tab, and watch a previous message on either YouTube or Facebook. So let's pray and see what God has for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your presence with us that you are here today. You are here today whether it's cold, whether it's warm, whether it's stormy, whether it's a nice day. Father, we can know that you are with us wherever we go for those of us who believe. We thank you that you indwell us richly and that your spirit is here to guide us into all truth and to comfort us in everything that we do, to give us assurance so that we have full peace. We thank you for that now in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So if you haven't guessed it yet, I am talking about, this morning, Jehoshaphat. The well-known story of Jehoshaphat describes one of the greatest epic Bibles in all of Israel. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a, wait a minute, Jim. Wait, Jehoshaphat who? Who did you say? Je, what was Jehoshaphat? Are you making a commentary on his weight? Is that a fat joke? No, I promise you. There is no indication that he was volumetrically challenged or, or short for his weight or however politically correct you'd like to say that. Well, I never heard of him. A well-known story, you say. Hmm. Well, where is this story? I want to see this story. Well, I'm glad you asked. It's in the well-known book of 2 Chronicles. It comes right after... Wait a minute. 2 Chronicles? I didn't know there was a 1 Chronicles. And now you're telling me there's a sequel? Yeah, there is a sequel. And it is where we will be today. So you want to open your Bibles if you have them or grab one from under the seat in front of you. You want to open to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Now if you start at Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, and you hang a right, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. Thank you, Bill. Yeah. So where was I? All right. Well, the well-known story of Jehoshaphat describes one of the greatest epic battles in the history of Israel. Jehoshaphat, the king of Israel, received word from some friends that the combined armies of not one, not two, but three nations were coming to make battle with him. You ever have one of those days when nothing goes your way? One day I woke up a little late for work, back when I was regularly driving into work, back when actually I lived in a different house. And, and I went out to go to work and I found that I was blocked in. No problem. I'll move the car. It wasn't my daughter's car. So I go back in the house to get her keys and I come back out, it won't start. So I have to drift her car out of the way, go back into the house, switch keys and cars, and I'm back on the road now later than ever. But I still have time because there is always time to stop for my cup of coffee. 24 ounces of heaven from Dunkin' Donuts, extra cream, no sugar. All I need is that first sip, and it's like, life is good, the world makes sense, or so it seems. Well, I get to work, and I am settling in for the day when I reach up to get a book off of the shelf in front of me. A book which apparently was the linchpin holding all the rest of the universe in place. Because suddenly there's an avalanche of books that come down upon me. Books are going everywhere. And one, of course, lands right on my coffee. My Dunkin' Donuts coffee. 24 ounces of heaven holding my morning together. Knocking it over violently. Coffee is squirting all over the place. And, of course, some of it goes, like, right here. And it just, well, it just misses. We'll leave it at that. Now I've got to clean up this mess. And on top of that, the whole morning, it looked like I peed myself. I'm like, Lord, I don't need this. I don't need this today. I should have stayed in bed. Growing up as kids, we always knew when my mom was having one of these days, and I don't see her. Oh, she is here this morning. She loves it when I talk about her. You see, there was myself, two sisters and a brother, and she would put her hand in her head and go, Lord, have mercy on my soul. And we knew that we were nearing the limit of what my mother could take. You ever have days like that? 
Well, it may not be three armies coming against you, but it scales up and down. Are you tracking with me? Have you ever noticed, maybe it's just me, that those events, those times, they always seem to come after a time when I've made a recommitment to the Lord. Things seem to be going well. I'm doing okay. I'm managing things. I got it under control. Of course, maybe I see a theme here, I've, 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 like I'm in charge. Yet I'm committed to God. I want to serve him. I want to be used by him in spite of all of the mistakes and bad choices that I made. If you are tracking with me, Jehoshaphat is the man for you. We're going to drop in on his life at just such a time. A time when his heart had turned back to God and he was trying to do all of the right things. So before we jump in, let me give you a little history of what has happened in his life up to this point. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king of Judah. That's pretty young as I look back from, from almost 60. And the scriptures record that his heart was for the Lord. He sent teachers throughout the kingdom to teach the law and the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdom around them. You see, he was equipping them with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. The surrounding nations began to bring him gifts as tribute, and he was becoming a very rich man, and this is when trouble started. He became confident in his own power. I got all this under control, and he, he made an alliance with the wrong people, namely Ahab. Ahab was an evil king in God's eyes. God recorded he did evil in the sight of the Lord more than any other king that was before him. And what did he, Jehoshaphat, do with Ahab? Well, it's, it's a great story. So Jehoshaphat, he allies himself with Ahab through marriage. And then he went down to visit for a party. Maybe it was a Super Bowl party. And he got sucked into a bad military alliance with him and a battle against King Aram. And this alliance almost cost him his life because Ahab hung him out to dry in battle. You see, a prophet had come and told Ahab that he was going to die in this battle. And Ahab figured he was smarter than God and he could outsmart him. And so he disguised himself as a soldier and he told Ahab, why don't you dress in all your royal robes? So he might as well have painted a bullseye on his back so that he would be the target instead of Ahab. And when Jehoshaphat saw that everybody was coming after him, he cried out to God and God saved him. Meanwhile, a stray arrow kills Ahab going right between the breastplates of his armor. And after the battle, when Jehoshaphat gets home, God sent him a nasty giram through the seer Jehu, letting him know how disappointed he was in his behavior. Well, it must have worked. Because once again, he turns his heart toward God, appointing just judges in the kingdom. He even went out himself, turning the hearts of the kingdom toward God. And it was some time after this, when things seemed to be going well, that we hear from the writer of Chronicles that he tells us that three nations were coming against him to do battle. They were the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meonites, 2 Chronicles 21. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, with some of the Meonites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you for Edom from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazan Tamar, that is, En Gedi. The odds were definitely not in Jehoshaphat's favor. Three against one is never good odds, especially in a fight. Now, it's a wise to choose your battles when you can, but what do you do when your battles choose you? What do you do when something shows up on your doorstep and it's not from Amazon Prime and you are certain that you did not order it? 
What do you do when the devil drops something off for you to deal with that you did not directly cause, choose, and definitely did not anticipate? Jehoshaphat here in 2 Chronicles 20 is in a time of spiritual renewal for Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, in a time of great momentum spiritually. And one day when everything is going good, you know how it is just when you figured something out, just when you're, you're getting into your groove, just when you've got into a rhythm of things, here comes some news. The Bible says in verse 2, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some Meonites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. And some men came up to tell him. I can imagine being in that, that group of men. Well, I'm not telling him, you tell him. No, you tell him. I'm not telling him, you tell him. Well, let's all tell him together. A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. That means that they were sneaking up from behind. They could have gone up and over the Red Sea. It would have been much closer. But they, they were doing an end run around the sea. They're coming around the Dead Sea and then coming back up to attack the people of God. And by the time he gets the news, they're like 25 miles out from Jerusalem. That means that Jehoshaphat, he doesn't have time to develop a strategy. He doesn't have time to, to build an armed force to make a defense. He doesn't have time to rethink all of the occasions that led to this event. It's coming, and it's coming now. Have you ever got that phone call, that, that text message, that moment in time when something is sneaking up on you and there's no way you can avoid it? You're going to have to deal with it real soon. I don't have time to read a book about this one. I don't have time to watch a TED Talk. I don't have time to get nutrition and good sleep. This one caught me off guard. This one knocked me upside my head. This one left my ears ringing. I, I can't even believe this one is happening. I don't, I don't have time to call people. I don't have time to, to get everyone's opinion. I don't have time to get anybody's advice. So watch what Jehoshaphat did. He said, I don't have time for all of this, so i got to go to the only place I can go. i got to go to God. There's something about a surprise attack that will drive you into the presence of God. There's something about the one you didn't see coming that will make you run to the place where you should have gone all along. This is relevant for each of us because we all face battles each day, don't we? Financial battles, spiritual battles, marital battles, vocational battles, relational battles, all kinds of battles. And God put the story of Jehoshaphat in the Bible in order to illustrate certain vital spiritual principles in winning the battle of life, in being equipped for it, in being dressed for it in the full armor of God. And there are five principles, I think, at least five that we can learn from Jehoshaphat to overcome the battles we face in life. So let's take a look at those. Number one, you got to have a response plan. Now, I think this seems like a rather obvious point, but apparently not. Many people simply do not have a plan for what's coming. Who knows what you are supposed to do if you should ever be so unfortunate as to catch on fire? I hear it out there. Stop. Drop and roll, right? That's a, we learn that as kids. They drill it into you. Right up there along with the Smokey the Bear and all the rest of those kinds of things about forest fires and stuff. Stop, drop, and roll. Notice how Jehoshaphat reacts when he heard these three nations were coming against him. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. What does he do? He stops, he prays, and he obeys, as we'll see in a little bit. 
The response of the king is urgent. It says in verse 3 that he was alarmed, yet he resolved. He had a plan. I really like that he had a determination to seek the Lord even in the face of an unexpected attack. He had made up his mind in advance who he would go to before he even knew what would come against him. Things happen. Bad things happen. Hurtful things happen, but those are events. How we choose to respond to them is what determines the direction of our lives. He was alarmed. It's a typical reaction for everyone. When we see a big problem, we panic because we are unsure what is going to happen. What's going to happen to me? Fear begins to build up. I'm starting to get afraid. And this is a natural <clears throat> reaction to problems. And, and fear is not bad unless we deal with it in the wrong way. We can use fear to motivate ourselves or to remind us where we need to run and turn and then to obey what we hear from the Lord to do. Principle number two, we need to admit your inadequacy. Joseph had, Jehoshaphat was afraid because he was facing what seemed to be like a hopeless situation. Verse 12 says, O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. He cried out to the Lord. We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, but we know that our eyes are on you. We're turning them toward you. We want to focus on you. Too often we have our eyes on our circumstances and not on the one who can solve our problems. Somebody once said that circumstances are like mattresses. If you're on top, you rest easy. But if you're underneath, you suffocate. You ever to move a mattress? They're unwieldy things to move. When we moved in, getting that king-size mattress up the steps and into the bedroom, once or two times it fell on top of me. They're heavy. And you feel like you're going to suffocate under those things. But if we keep our eyes on the Lord, we will win over those circumstances. Number three, pray and fast. So in the middle of this crisis, what did he do? Lord, I don't know why you're doing this to me. I didn't do anything bad. I can't do this anymore. I give up. He didn't complain. That's sometimes my reaction. But Jehoshaphat sought the Lord through prayer. He proclaimed a fast, and all the people from all over the nation came to pray. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. People came from all over. The third principle in winning the battle of life is to take our problems to the Lord. What does that mean? Well, that means prayer. Unfortunately, prayer is often our last course of, uh, of action. We try everything else in our own power before we ever want to go and pray. A deacon came to his pastor one day and said, Pastor, we've got a problem. We've been trying to solve this every which way we can since Sunday. Nothing's happening and we can't solve the problem. And the pastor said in his best pastor voice, Well, I guess all we can do is pray. And the deacon said, has it come to that? Is that all we have left? That should be our first course of action. Listen to what Lou Giglio, pastor of Passion City Church in Atlanta, has to say on prayer. If we could see what happens when we pray, we would never cease to pray. To pray.
Because we're like, you know, Lord, I don't know, and I don't even feel like you're in the room right now, and I don't even know if you hear me right now, and I don't even know if I hear me right now, and I'm actually getting a little tired, so maybe you're getting a little tired too. Oh, and my phone just pinged, and that distracted me, and oh, look, it's a notification from CNN. I should look at that because it's important. You know, our, our prayer journey is a struggle. Because for, for a lot of it, we got like a wall three feet in front of us and a whole crazy world competing around us. But if just for like 10 seconds, God could open up the window of heaven and say, hey, when you just asked me that, I dispatched angels across continents. When you just asked me that, I shifted kingdom plans into gear. When you just asked me that, Darkness was weakened and the power of the enemy was destroyed. When you asked me that, a connection just happened across the world. When you asked me that, a door just opened across the country. When you asked me that, heaven just opened and God began to move. When you asked me that, dominoes started moving out that are going to move out not just today, but tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, and forever. And if we could see that for a moment, we would just pray all the time. Like the scripture says, when it encouraged me and said, hey, Louie, pray without ceasing. Because when you call on the name of Jesus and access the power of heaven and stand in the gap and agree with God's plans, things happen. Amen. Yeah, indeed they do. Our first place to go. There was a church that was struggling financially. The crumbling old building needed remodeling. So the preacher called a prayer meeting and made an impassioned appeal, looking directly at the richest man in town. During the prayer, the, the rich man stood up and announced, Pastor, I will contribute $1,000. Just then, plaster fell from the ceiling and, and struck the man on his shoulder. He promptly shouted out again, Pastor, I will increase my donation to $5,000. Before he could sit back down, more plaster fell on him, and he virtually screamed, Pastor, I will double my last pledge. He sat down, and a large chunk of plaster fell, hitting him in the head. He stood up, and he said, Pastor, I will, I will contribute $20,000. That prompted a deacon to shout out in prayer, Hit him again, Lord, hit him again. <laughs> prayer ought to be our first weapon, the first weapon we use. Look at what Jehoshaphat prays. He says, O oh Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. He remembered who God is. Are you not the God who is in heaven? Oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? He remembered what God did in the past. If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plagues or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. He remembered what God said that he would do in the future. And he asked for help during that very day, right when he needed it. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For you have no, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, 
but our eyes are on you. Jehoshaphat prayed, in effect, God, I know you've helped me in the past. I know you can help me in the future. And I know, please, that you will help me now. Prayer ought to be the first weapon we use, not the last. Number four, the next thing we need to do is to relax in faith. We have to have patience. God works on a different timetable than we do. Notice how God responds to Jehoshaphat's prayer. In verse 5, he says, Listen to King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Do not be afraid or discouraged for this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. The fourth principle in overcoming life's battles is to relax in faith. Many Christians today are totally worn out because they are trying to fight God's battles in their own strength. If we are trying to fight God's battles in our power, we are sure to be defeated. The fact is that if you are God's children, then your problems are God's problems. In fact, he invites us to cast them at his feet, and he will care for them for us. And he's so much better at fighting your battles and solving your problems than you are. Your job is is to trust him to work that all out. Now, that doesn't mean that you do nothing, but you are careful to wait on his direction and to be obedient when you hear that direction. Perhaps the reason we have so many tired, fatigued, and discouraged Christians is because we think it all depends on me. The day that we resign as general manager of the universe, we're going to find out that it still goes on quite well. We can relax because God's got it under control. When we first become Christians, we may... We may uh, go out in all sorts of power and enthusiasm thinking we single-handedly are going to bring about the kingdom of God. We are eager to, uh, to turn the world upside down, but eventually we come back feeling dejected and like we've disappointed God. And God replies, no, you didn't let me down because you weren't holding me up. I hold you up. You don't have me in your hands. I have you in my hands. And I will not let you go. God is trying to tell us to relax and let him work through us. There was a time in my Christian life when I had been working so hard for the Lord. I mean, I was in, I was in every committee. I was in every activity that was going on. And, and I was figuring, man, if I could just work harder, I'd eventually get to a point of joy. Let me tell you, I was tired and I was miserable. Finally, I got to the point where I said, God, if this is it, I want out. If this is Christianity, it sucks. This is terrible. This cannot be what you had in mind. And when I did that, it was as though I heard a voice from heaven say, well, finally, it's about time that you sat down and shut up and let me do the work. Because as long as you're out there trying to push it, to make your own plans, to do your own thing, you're just going to mess things up. Relax, let me work through you. Notice what else God said to Jehoshaphat. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position. Stand firm. See the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. There was still action on their part required. They had to stand in position. They had to go out and then watch and wait what God would do. What does it mean to stand firm when we have a problem? When you're facing a battle, when you're in a life crisis, it's a mental attitude of quiet confidence that says, I'm going to trust God. That's something I know that I am always learning. Look, it's, it's never God's will for me to run from a difficult circumstance. In fact, 
Oftentimes, trials are how He increases our faith, and He wants me to learn that. And if I run, well, I may just have to learn it a little later on. It may not come this week, but maybe it's next week, and eventually I'm going to have to learn that lesson, so I might as well do it now, sooner rather than later. We can save ourselves problems by simply standing firm, being fully equipped in God's armor. We've got those shoes on with the hobnails that keep us from falling backwards and losing ground and waiting on God in quiet confidence. So what do we stand firm on? Well, Jehoshaphat says that we are to, to have faith in the Lord our God, and he will, we will be upheld. To have faith in his prophets, and we will be successful. First, we need to stand firm on the character of God, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he will never let us down, that he does not change. Second, we need to stand firm on his writings, on his written word that he has given to us. The truth of the Bible. The Bible is God's word, and we need to rely in quiet confidence on those written promises. That's putting on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. And finally, the, the fifth principle in conquering life's battles is thanking God in advance for your victory. The story of Jehoshaphat is fascinating because after he consults with God, he consults with the people, and he appoints men to sing to the Lord, to praise God for his splendor and holiness as they went out at the head of the army. Verse 21 says, After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness, as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for His love endures forever. Imagine you are standing on a mountaintop, and looking across a valley toward the other side, the mountain on the other side, there's a great battle that's going to happen down in that valley. And on the other mountain are three armies that are coming against you. And on your side, you have your leader Jehoshaphat telling you, here's God's plan. All of you who can sing in the choir, I want you out front. Who wants to join the worship team? <laughs> what a place to be. You all go first. I think I'm going to be sick that week. Who wants to join the worship team? So the army goes marching into battle, and the, the choir is out front singing the praises of God. Did God's plan work? Yes. Yes, it did. The three armies got totally confused and wound up killing each other. And all the uh, Israelites had to do was mop up all the plunder. Why did God do it that way? Well, he's an interesting fellow when you get to know him. As a visual lesson to teach us to praise him in faith even before the victory takes place. We've got a God who is for us and not against us. Amen? No weapon shall prosper. No weapon shall prosper. Worship team, you can make your way back up. Paul tells us we are to be filled with the Spirit. How? Well, he says in Ephesians, talk with each other much about the Lord, quoting psalms and hymns and singing sacred songs, making music in your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks for everything to God and to everything to our God and Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Tech team, you can switch over if you want. We should constantly be giving thanks and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. That means that when we are out shoveling snow by hand, don't start murmuring and complaining about everything. 
Man, why does it always seem to be more snow on my sidewalk than my neighbor's sidewalk? Why is it deeper at my house? All I got is this rotten old shovel. It's probably going to break before I'm even done. There's even more snow in the forecast. Right about then, your neighbor opens up his garage door and comes out with a brand new 36-inch wide snowblower, you know, with a heated hot chocolate dispenser. And you're like, Lord, let him hit a rock. Let him just hit a rock today. Quit complaining and start making melody in your heart. I thank you that I can be out here. I thank you that my shovel is paid for. If your work is around the house, don't say, well, Lord, all I ever do is clean up around here and all they ever do is mess up. Quit allowing the enemy to steal your song. Praise his name in the midst of those problems and the enemy will defeat itself around you. Each of us can say, Lord, I know I have problems. But I thank you in advance because there is no situation that you can't take control of. That's true faith, thanking God in advance. So how do we overcome life's problems? you got to have a response plan, number one. you got to admit your inadequacies. you got to pray and fast. Take it to the one who can fix it. you got to relax in faith, trust God for what he says he will do, and thank God in advance. Let's remember this morning... The one who brought us back, the one who bought us back at the price of his own blood. Let's remember Jesus at this time. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. If you uh, don't have one of the communion cups already, they're there in the seats in front of you. Remember, it's a two-part deal. You peel off that top part to to uh, to get to the wafer. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you that your body was broken for us. We thank you that you didn't hold back your son, that he came to give up his life, to die in our stead. We thank you for that sacrifice. In the same way, after supper, he cooked the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for Blood that was spilt. And Father, we know that you said that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission, no wiping away of sin. We thank you that that way was made possible by the perfect life of your son, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood willingly on our behalf. Father, we remember him as you asked this morning in his death and most importantly in his resurrection. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to end with a song this morning, but before we do, I'd like to end every message by saying, Faith Fellowship, know that God is for you and not against you.